Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. Uh, this is actually, we're doing the Seven Deadly Sins. This is going to be the last of the Seven Deadly Sins today. We're going to be focusing on pride. Uh, and uh, as this week has gone, I feel like I'm just ready to dive right in again. Um, this has been really fun, really entertaining, really enlightening for me. Uh, it's been really helpful and I hope it has been for you as well. Um, I think it's really important to, like, as you as you've probably noticed, to engage with these ideas and try to see where they are, where, where they pop up in yourself, and try to fix those, uh, so that we can go about trying to imp- make the world as balanced as possible, right? Through living our own individual truth. Now, let's just get right into it, right? Oh, actually, I've been drinking. I don't know if you guys have. Uh, you guys are fans of Bang or Rain, right? I, I talked about Rain in a couple episodes ago. Well, I got some Bangs this morning because they're on sale. And they got some weird flavors of Bangs now. Like, uh, I, what, what did I just get? I got, like, something peach something. It's like a purple peach, grape peach something. Whew. It was so good, though. Like, I, I don't remember having very many. Like, there's not enough peach flavors in the world, I feel like. Like, peach is one of the best. Like, my ex-girlfriend uh, back in Phoenix, shout out to Janessa if you ever listen to this. Um, she <laughs> loved, like, peach shit. Like, she had, it, well, not all peach stuff, but there was, like, this one energy drink. I think it was the, it was the, uh, I think it was the Ma- Monster Peach. It was, like, that orange, yeah. Anyway, that girl went crazy for those things. Uh, I think for her birthday one year, I bought her just, like, an 18-pack of them. <laughs> but anyway, that was before we were dating. Just... <laughs> You guys are probably sitting there like, wow, what a cheapskate. Energy drinks for your girlfriend. (laughs) This is before we were dating. Thank you. All right. Um, Anyway, uh, let's move on, right? Um, So moving right into the final of the seven deadly sins and uh, what is generally considered, I believe, to be the most severe. Let's go ahead and just start reading, okay? We're dealing with pride today. Pride is considered on almost every list the original and most serious of the seven deadly sins. The perversion of the faculties that make humans more like God, dignity, and holiness. So we kind of talked about it a little bit, right? This is what I was thinking pride was about, but it's definitely a confusion with God. It is also thought to be the source of the other capital sins. Hmm. Also known as hubris or futility, it is identified as dangerously corrupt selfishness. Dangerously corrupt selfishness. The putting of one's own desires, urges, wants, and whims before the welfare of other people. In even more destructive cases, it is irrationally believing that one is essentially and necessarily better, superior, or more important than others, failing to acknowledge the accomplishments of others and excessive admiration of the personal image of self, especially forgetting one's own lack of divinity, and refusing to acknowledge one's own limits, faults, and or wrongs as a human being. The reason this is so important is because part of your divinity is your flaws. Denying your flaws is a sin because it is you. Those flaws are what lead you to your path. It's necessary. The flaws are your map, man. You don't want to delete those things. You need them to get where you need to be. Here's a, this is a quote by Alexander Pope from an essay on criticism. Line 203. What the weak head with strongest bias rules is pride, the never failing voice of fools. Yes. As pride has been labeled the father of all sins, it has been deemed the devil's most prominent trait. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity that pride is the anti-God state the position in which the ego and the self are directly opposed to God. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. As we said before, the devil wasn't always that. 
He became it. He turned into it. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is understood to sever the spirit from God, as well as his life and grace-giving presence. Yes. So not only does it sever you from the source, the spirit, God, it also severs you from the grace that would save you from the suffering inherent within the world, making the world a hellish scape. Or at least appear so. One can be prideful for different reasons. Author Ichabod Spencer states that spiritual pride is the worst kind of pride, if not worst snare of the devil. The heart is particularly deceitful on this one thing. (laughs) Jonathan Edwards said, Remember that pride is the worst viper that is in the heart, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. It was the first sin that ever was and lies lowest in the foundation of Satan's whole building and is the most difficultly rooted out and is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lust. Lust and often creeps in, incessantly, into the midst of religion and sometimes under the disguise of humility. (laughs) Wow. Jonathan Edwards was a North American revivalist, preacher, philosopher, and congregationalist Protestant theologian. Edwards is widely regarded as one of America's most prominent, important, and original philosophical theologians. That is profound. I'm going to read this again. Remember that pride is the worst viper that is in the heart, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. It was the first sin that ever was and lies lowest on the foundation of Satan's whole building and is the most difficultly rooted out and is the most hidden, secret and deceitful of all lusts and often creeps in incessantly into the midst of religion and sometimes under the disguise of humility. I don't know if you're picking up on why this is so deep here, but this is getting to the common thread that people like to pull when they're trying to uh, to undermine religious philosophy. It's pride. It's it's this pride acting. It's a pride to that that we know more that we we can discern. We can be the hand of justice, right? We can discern when something is wrong and needs to be torn down. In ancient Athens, I almost said ancient aliens. In ancient Athens, hubris was considered one of the greatest crimes and was used to refer to insolent contempt that can cause one to use violence to shame the victim. The sense of hubris could also characterize rape. Aristotle defined hubris as shaming the victim, not because of anything that happened to the committer or might happen to the committer, but merely for the committer's own gratification. Yeah, yeah. Whew. Some heavy stuff. The word's connotation changed somewhat over time with some additional emphasis towards a gross overestimation of one's abilities. Let me read that again. The word's connotation changed somewhat over time with some additional emphasis towards a gross overestimation of one's own abilities. Yeah. But Aristotle defined it as hubris. A hubris that shames the victim. The term has been used to analyze and make sense of actions of contemporary heads of... This is what I'm talking about. The hubris, like, stains you. Evil acts in the world stain you. And and evil begets evil, right? It produces more of it. It, 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 by touching it, it's like it gets, it's like a game of telephone, you know, like there's this original act of evil that was done in the world. And it's almost like this evil, this same evil has spread through every other person, through all of these generations in different means, through these seven different means in some way or another. And it spreads like a virus by touching other people, getting too close and allowing that kind of, these kind of characteristics to come out of you in nasty ways. And a lot of times the way they do is by not confronting 
the people, ideas, experiences that have caused those feelings in you. And so you pass them on to other people. And this is the way evil spreads in the world. This is why pride is so dangerous. The term has been used to analyze and make sense of the actions of contemporary heads of government by Ian Kershaw, 1998, Pierre Beinart, 2010, and in a much more psychological matter by David Owen in 2012. In this context, the term has been used to describe how certain leaders, when put to positions of immense power, seem to become irrationally self-confident in their own abilities, yes, increasingly reluctant to listen to the advice of others and progressively more impulsive in their actions. Anybody lives in Michigan with, under that Governor Whitmer, I think is her name, or something like that? In this context, a term has been used to describe how certain leaders, when put in positions of immense power, seem to become irrationally self-confident in their own abilities, increasingly reluctant to listen to advice of others, and progressively more impulsive in their actions. I guess I'll leave that there, right? Dante's definition of pride was love of self perverted to hatred and contempt for one's neighbor. Yeah. Love of self perverted to hatred and contempt for one's neighbor. Yes. I am more important than you. How dare you try to take anything from me? That kind of idea. Pride is generally associated with an absence of humility. Humility being the quality of being humble. Dictionary definitions accentuate humility as a low self-regard and sense of unworthiness. In a religious context, humility can mean a recognition of self in relation to a deity or deities and subsequent submission to said deity. It's the absence of humility is pride. It's the opposite of giving yourself up to something bigger than yourself is thinking you are that thing that's bigger. In accordance with this Sriracha's author's wording... So the Sriracha, Sriracha is, is a, it's a book of all virtuous wisdom of uh, Yeshua ben Sira, commonly called the Wisdom of Sirach, or simply Sirach, and also known as the Book of uh, Ecclesiastics. Uh, that's the word I was trying to pronounce the other day. Is it yesterday? Okay. Or ben Sir. Okay. Is a work of ethical teachings. Gotcha. Okay. I did not know that. That's very interesting. So in accordance with the Sriracha's author's wording, the heart of a proud man is like a partridge in its cage, acting as a decoy. Like a spy, he watches for your weaknesses. He changes good things into evil. Yes, he lays his traps. Just as a spark sets coals on fire, the wicked man prepares his snares in order to draw blood. Yes, beware of the wicked man, for he is planning evil. We might dishonor you forever. He might dishonor you forever. Exactly. What is this getting to? This is saying that don't don't make yourself into this dainty thing. Don't make yourself into this innocent victim that lays there and just lets the world run over it. You saw this in the second Joker movie, the new one with Joaquin Phoenix. This is one of the ways to the beast, to making the monster in people, is letting them believe that the world is supposed to be fair and that they should not act in any kind of way uh, in retaliation, right? Like like that there's certain things you just shouldn't do. Violence, none, never, right? Well, that's that's... There's a, there's a simple idea in that, that. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. You don't want to do harm unto others. You see that in all the religions. But there's also a necessity to violence. It's an inbuilt thing, right? Um, there's this survival instinct. There's also this necessity you see for good people to rise up when evil overwhelms the world. There's a necessity to violence in some way, and I'm not calling for it. I want to make sure that you know that. Like anybody that's listening to this, I'm not telling you to go out there and do something horrible. Do not do that. But what I'm saying is that all of these are tools, Right? that you see throughout history that you can't have, like for instance, you can't play 
It's this idea of you can't play a game with bad actors if they're going to use anything against you. You can't have rules in those kind of systems. So there is a necessity. You see this in the figure of St. Michael, right? The archangel. He is a fighter. He is a warrior for the good, right? He's the one that casts Satan, Lucifer, out of heaven. He casts him into hell, right? It's a tattoo I have on my arm, actually, right? Um, is Lucifer being cast out of hell or out of, out of heaven into hell, the fall of grace, fall from grace, right? St. Michael is a fighter. He's a warrior for good, for light. What that means is that fighting in general is not bad. It's kind of like anger. It's a, it's a natural thing, way things can have happen, right? The problem is jumping too quickly to those things or assuming that that's the only way to solve problems, all these kind of things you can see creates evil. So it's like good things or even, even neutral things can be corrupted into evil through these, through these passions, right? Um, or, the, or the, not necessarily passions, the, these characteristics. So let me read that one more time. Sriracha's author's wording, the heart of a proud man is like a partridge in its cage acting as a decoy, like a spy he watches for your weaknesses. He changes good things into evil. He lays his traps. Just as a spark sets coals on fire, the wicked man prepares his snares in order to draw blood. Beware of the wicked man, for he is planning evil. He might dishonor you forever. Right? So you can be marked by the evil. You can't just sit there and not do anything. You have to stand up. You have to put on your armor. You have to face those things like a warrior. You are meant to, right? Like in some way, your fight, there's some individual fight you're meant to take on, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that violence is the way that you go through that. But it does mean that, that, like I said, that we can't just sit here and try to wish for this really good, safe world, which is what people usually associate good with. They associate good with one, kind of not acting and just allowing things to go on and, 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 and allowing... Um, and I think it's because, you know, you don't want, we see all these people with egos running around trying to act in the world. And so like, well, how do we stop that? We'll just have them not act at all. And it's like, well, okay, yeah. But the problem is, is there's always going to be bad actors in that system and they're going to continue to act. So if you don't, if you have the good people playing by the rules, not acting, then all that happens is evil grows, right? So you have to, you have to act. All of us have to act. We're compelled to act in our own way and speak our truth and to put that into being in the world, to make that into being, you know what I mean? And, and, and. Uh, that's how we push back this evil. That's how we, we maintain this balance. We don't try to eliminate it. We simply try to live our best versions of ourselves, right? Through doing that, we automatically keep it at at bay. We keep that evil tied at bay. In another chapter, he says that the acquisitive man is not content with what he has. Wicked injustice shrivels the heart. Yeah. Did you get rewarded for it? What did we talk about yesterday? You'll get a little reward. Wicked injustice shrivels the heart. See, so as some as the as the wicked man, as the person enthralled in these evil things, you know, sets his snares and draws blood, and actually sees a reward for that, right? Sees his position go up for some reason, or sees him to be elevated by the misgivings or the de- of the uh, or the the loss of another. Uh, you become addicted to it in a way. Your heart shrivels and you become more willing to do it more readily. You do it more readily. You become an arm of evil in the world. You devolve as a thing. Benjamin Franklin said, in reality there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, 
struggle with it, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. You will see it, perhaps often in history. For even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> exactly. You cannot eliminate these things. You have to live with them. You have to learn how to live in a balance with them. Recognize your shadow. Recognize what trips you up and causes you to be prideful. Then watch for those things in the world. And when you do get that feeling, you do feel that, that possession taking over, that pride taking over, that good feeling, giving into it, don't. Sit in the uncomfortable feeling. Choose the thorny path. And that thing will shrink. It won't go away, but it'll shrink. It won't have as much power over you. And every time you run into that similar kind of hurdle, you'll choose that good path, that thorny path. Except this time, you trimmed it back a little bit. It's not as thorny this time. See what I'm saying? And then before you know it, that path is the only path you know how to walk. That's the best we can hope for. Is habituating the virtues inside of ourselves. The proverb pride goeth goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It's from the biblical book of Proverbs 1618. It's thought to sum up the modern use of pride. Pride is also referred to as pride that blinds as it often causes a committer of pride to act in foolish ways that belie common sense. Exactly. It causes it. it, it this is a delusion. Pride is a delusion. It's not reality. You are not the center of the universe. You are not that important. You are important, very specifically important, but not in a prideful way, not in a way that everything should bow to you. You're necessary in a very specific way. In his two-volume biography of Adolf Hitler... Historian Ian Kershaw uses both hubris and nemesis as titles. The first volume, Hubris, describes Hitler's early life and rise to political power. The second, Nemesis, gives details of Hitler's role in the Second World War and concludes with his fall and suicide in 1945. Much of the 10th and part of the 11th chapter of the Book of Sirach discusses and advises about pride, hubris, and who is rationally worthy of honor. It goes, Do not store up resentment against your neighbor. No matter what his offense, do nothing in a fit of anger. We could replace that anger with wrath, right? Pride is odious to both God and man. What does odious mean, actually? I've never... Odious. Extremely unpleasant or repulsive, okay. Makes sense. Pride is, is odious to both God and man. Injustice is abhorrent to both of them. Yes. You, you have this sense of justice and it's not a satisfaction, it's a balance. Like I said yesterday, it's like nobody gets satisfaction, but that is right. That is just. You, it's, it's not winning. Do not reprehend anyone un, unless you have been f- first fully informed. So don't start talking before you know what you're, you're, you're going to say. You know what I mean? Don't argue for something without listening first. Do not reprehend anyone unless you have been first fully informed. Consider the case first and thereafter make your reproach. Exactly. Don't assume that you're already right. That's a prideful thing. I see so, oh my goodness, look at the media. Look at politics. What do you see? People talking past each other, right? They wait for their time to talk and then they talk their talking point. It's pride. Ooh, it's pride. 
you already knowing that you figured it out. It creates a scenario where there is no possible way out of, of, of destruction and degradation in that system. You create bad actors automatically of, uh, out of the opposite side. At best, you create ignorant actors on the other side. At worst, you create bad actors. Every single per person you encounter in your life is put there for a reason. They could be a hurdle. They could be something there to help you over a hurdle. They could be someone there just for play. And I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way. I mean it in, in a loving way. Like there could be, I think there's people that are placed in your life too that are there just for the enjoyment, simple, simple enjoyment of seeing another person happy. You know, there's so many people you run into in your life. There's, this is a good example. So I had some friends come and visit me um, not too long ago, right before the coronavirus, actually. Uh, and we went out this one night. We were out on the on town before the bars. It's, it's kind of weird thinking of it now, actually, um, in post-coronavirus land. But we were out wandering around, and it was one of those nights where it was, it was me and my two friends and uh, my other buddy, and we're standing outside, and all of a sudden this, like, group of people walk up and they're pretty drunk because these like three guys or whatever and they kind of start like just like bullshitting with us you know like kind of fucking around and it was one of those it was the weirdest thing because all of us just immediately hit it off boom it was like we all were just laughing and having a good time and before you know it like five minutes in we're like hey let's go to another bar yeah and here we go we're all just like moving you know to this bar and we're just enjoying the company of this other group that we just randomly ran into right that's what i'm talking about that exists too. You have to seize those moments. You have to enjoy them. You have to appreciate those things. You know, those people are there for a reason as well. You know, maybe you're in a bad mood. Maybe you're focusing on the wrong thing, whatever. Maybe it's there to just shake you up and give you a laugh. You don't know. But we got to pay attention to those things as if they're important in that way. People, every person you interact with is important. If you treat them that way, then you'll listen to them because you don't want to miss anything. You may miss something that is like the key to unlocking your true potential as a person, your whole life goal. You don't want to miss that, man. Listen to people when they talk to you. And then respond. Think about it. Chew on it. If you don't have anything good to say, do not do not open your mouth. It's uncomfortable, right? That's why people will just say, they'll fill the, the silence. I, this is the first, in the, in the third episode, which is technically the first episode of the podcast, in the X marks the spot, I talked about this scenario, right? Where you walk into, you're in with a group of friends and we're all going out to eat. And we all sit down at the table and let's say it takes a while for the waiter to get there. Where there, A lot of times you'll run into this scenario where there's a silence and everybody's kind of waiting and they want to order their food, they're getting impatient, but nobody, you know, nobody really wants to say anything. And then, the silence is like palpable and the longer it sits there the more it builds and you feel this squirming inside of you say something say something break the silence it doesn't matter if it means anything just break the silence regurgitate noise you know what i mean that's what your your urge is right and before you know it you won't have to wait very long somebody will do that and it won't be really valid i mean usually it's it's something like it could be but it's usually not relevant it's something stupid like oh it's a nice day or oh you know what i mean they'll just break the silence and now I'm not necessarily saying there's something inherently bad with that scenario, but what I'm saying is that that kind of feeling inside yourself to just break the silence and say something to fill it is not a good habit to get into because you're not speaking truth when you're doing that. What you're doing is just um, 
you're trying to avoid discomfort. So you're just you're just spewing things. The problem is, is your people are going to view what you're saying as truth. So if you're not careful, you could say things you don't mean, and then that builds your ego, right? And then you have to maintain that freaking thing, and it all become. It, you see how it kind of just compounds on itself. It's a very very trivial example, but it can build into this into pride. It can build into you not listening to anybody, you trying to fill the void or the silence, period, and not really analyzing your thoughts and not really seeing how important they are or how they're going to land with people. You know what I mean? Or analyzing how important you are and what you say and how much that can affect somebody else. All of those things, right? That's a pride. That's, that is pride. And you can already see, you've experienced it as well. You know this in yourself. There's probably been many times throughout your life that you've been in a scenario where somebody has said something or done something that was extremely hurtful to you, that hurt you deeply, and they did not know what they did. They just went on going. They, they didn't do it with bad intent. So it's almost like you couldn't get mad at them, but they did something that hurt you deeply. So you, you, they just go on, right? You're going to encounter, there's so many people in the world like that. Everybody's like that. You're all, we all do that at some point. We're all that person. I'm not, I'm not saying that person that does that is a bad person. I'm saying we often overlook how we hurt other people, right? And we need to be careful when we're doing, when we're interacting with each other, because that is how evil spreads. It's tricky. You see, it tricks you into treating people as if they're not worthy of something. If they're not worthy of your love, your time, your effort, your energy, you don't look them in the face, right? All this kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's this similar identity you'll see that will slowly strip you of your ability to kind of connect with someone to the point where in the thralls of it, you won't even want to look at people in the face. You don't want to even create the possibility of connection because you don't want them to see what you are in that moment. This twisted, distorted thing that's completely enveloped in darkness. So you don't look at people because people can see it in your eyes. Anyway, let's move on. Let's see here. Do not store up resentment against your neighbor. No matter what his offense, do nothing in a fit of anger or wrath. Pride is odious to both God and man. Injustice is abhorrent to both of them. Do not reprehend anyone unless you have been first fully informed consider the case first and thereafter make your approach think before you speak do not reply before you have listened do not meddle in the disputes of sinners don't fix shit for people right if somebody is enthralled in darkness you can do everything you cannot pull them out of it for them you can't do anything for them you may want to but you trying to do that you'll get stuck in the mud it's like this is how you approach somebody if somebody's drowning anybody that's ever been in a lifeguard uh class or something like that how do you approach somebody that's drowning drowning feet first right so you can push them away if they because they're panicking they're dying so they're in this re- fight or flight mode and they're going to if the if they're presented with something to make them float they're going to pull you down and pull you under those they will suffocate you they'll make you drown. So what you do is you try to calm them down and you approach them feet first, right? So that can't happen. You do everything to help them that you in your power, but you do not sacrifice yourself for them because they have to do something too. They have to fight. They have to calm down. They have to do all this kind of stuff, right? They have to do their part to be able to save themselves. Same thing. Same thing. You can't, there's a certain amount of help you can't give to people because they have to do it themselves. And it's partially because you also will take the credit if you do that for them. And that is deeply evil. It's their hurdle. It's their responsibility. If you pick it up for them, they don't learn their lesson. They go on forward and they will trip into it again. 
over and over and over and over and over again, and they will degrade because of that, because they will start to believe that they are something that isn't worthy or capable of giving, getting over that certain hurdle, when in reality, they have every potential and capacity to do so. You're doing it for them, so they never learn that. You see? But you're doing it also in a savior complex. You're doing it to make yourself feel better, right? Oh, they need help. Let me help you. This makes me feel good. And, that, and that's in some ways, there is this, there is this good intention behind it, right? But you have to be careful not to let it seep into pride, not let it build your ego, right? So many people, and this is what usually happens in religion, the insidious nature of this inside religion is I think you see this in figures in this in the in church a lot. This is partially, I think, what motivated most of the horrible things throughout history in regards to the church is pride. When you get power, there's power inside these ideas and there's power in seats of, of authority in these institutions. And when you're granted that, people are still people. It doesn't matter if it's a, it's a, a religious position or not. And so there are going to be bad actors that get in there, like I've asserted before, in any kind of institution, any kind of hierarchy, right? They're going to act badly. It doesn't mean the ideas are bad. It means there's people that implemented them horribly or don't properly understand them. Now, we have to be really careful, right? Do not reply before you have listened. Do not meddle in the disputes of sinners. My child, do not undertake too many activities. If you, if you keep it adding to them, you will not be willing without reproach. Exactly. If you keep adding to them, you will not be without reproach. If you run after them, you will not succeed, nor will you ever be free, although you try to escape. Exactly. You run in circles. You look for absolution. You look for your meaning in the thing that is in uh, building the thing that is your downfall, pride, your ego. But you do it thinking that you're doing the righteous thing, that you're doing the thing that God is asking you to do. Save everybody. No, he's not asking you to do that. He would never ask you to do that because that would confuse you with a God. You can't save everybody. Why would a God ever ask you to do that? Trickster, man. There's also an association between Lucifer and intelligence. Logic. Of the angels, Lucifer was considered not only the most beautiful, but also the most intelligent. He was cunning and coy and sly. He had a way with words and a beauty in the way he fit words together. He could convince people of things. The perverted version of that is the trickster someone with all the intelligence and ability to lead you astray and to do it fully and fully intentionally to do it knowingly that's evil that's evil encompassed it's the pied piper it's the witch from hansel and gretel you'll see the evil one throughout history in all of these stories and myths My child, do not undertake too many activities. If you keep adding to them, you will be without reproach. If you run after them, you will not succeed, nor will you ever be free, although you try to escape. Jacob Bitterman's medieval miracle play, Synodoxus, pride is the deadliest of all the sins and leads directly to the damnation of the titillary, famed Parisian doctor. There must be a character in that. In Dante's Divine Comedy, the penitents are burdened with stone slabs on their necks to keep their heads bowed. <laughs> Wow. 
This is a... Man, I struggle with this one. And it's scary, right? I'm sure a lot of people do. You have to. There's no way if you're a human being you don't struggle with pride. It's such a fine line to walk. How do you build yourself up and feel good about yourself without adding so much to yourself that you become this gluttonous, disgusting, perverted thing? You know, you feel without without these these virtues, you know, without the seven virtues, without religions itself, I don't think we'd have any, we don't have any way to describe how to get people out of that, how to keep them from acting this way or thinking that they're the center of the universe, right? Thinking that they're their ego, thinking they're the things they've accumulated. And things can be physical things, they can also be ideas, thinking that you are nothing but your ideas, you're not. You're like a like you're like a receiver, man. You're like a radio receiver. You can tune that son of a bitch into a frequency. And if you do it right, you'll find what you're looking for. But you can't approach you can't approach it in a materialist kind of systematic way in this if then way. Right? It's not a computer. You don't put an input and get an output. That's not how this thing works. I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> Pride, right? You see how, how often I struggle with this in this podcast, right? If you listen to it. You see how often I have to pull myself back from asserting things? How often I do that without knowing it? Right? I do it because I think I'm right, or I think that I'm asserting the good or truth. Pride will hide you from truth. It'll make you think you're speaking truth when you really aren't. It will make you argue for things that you don't fully understand. I see this very often in people in the modern day. Why it's very, it's, it's very easy to argue against most ideas modern day because 99.9% of people believe the same thing. But 99.8% of them don't understand those things at a deep level. So they argue for shit they don't understand. You know what I mean? That's why you can like, that's why the conversation hasn't gone very far between like the, I'm, I'm, t- I'm not just talking about the materialist perspective. I'm talking about the religious perspective as well. Like these two, like if I had to distill it, it's like, and I don't mean to oversimplify, but these two kind of conceptions, kind of the, the spiritual and religious side and the more materialist, uh, uh, atheistic side, kind of trying to assert that they're the whole thing, you know, um, talking past each other, but doing it but most of the arguments just being presented by the people that scream the loudest not the people that understand the ideas the best I think (laughs) you know what I mean just by whoever has the loudest voice and because of that you get regurgitated bullshit that you can't talk past or can't disprove because people don't understand it so they don't really know how to disentangle it it's actually a belief it's a dogma Dogma doesn't only exist on in religion. It exists in this material world too, in the, this materialist worldview. In atheism, there's dogmas that exist as well. It's, that is exactly what Rupert Sheldrake's book that I've been reading is about. It's the ten dogmas of science. Science itself, they exist. 
There's a lot of assumptions, like the fundamental constants, right, that Rupert Sheldrake has pointed out, that are not that. And it's provable that they are not constant. It's more logical to assume that they are changing and shifting that they are constant. Yet we've asserted as if we found constants because it pushes our theories along further. It makes the materialist worldview more solidified, thus granting it legitimacy above and beyond religion itself. It's been a war of ideas that somebody is trying to win or one side is trying to win. And same thing as in religion. The religious worldview did this for hundreds of years beforehand, right? So it's not, it's not like it, it's a vacillation of things, but we're going, we're going too far in either direction. What we need is the middle ground because both of them have truth. Both of them are wrong in some ways, right? Pride is the deadliest of the sins because it is the sin that led to the fall. It was a sin Lucifer committed against God that cast him out of grace. And you see in these, right, in this analyzation of this, that that is exactly what it does. Pride is understood to sever the spirit from God as well as his life and grace-giving presence. It severs you from your roadmap. It turns off the radio. That's reinforcing your theory or belief that there is nothing more. There is nothing bigger. If you believe that, you will not be woken up. Nobody's going to turn that thing on for you. Right? We have a choice right now as human beings. To either flip that receiver on or to flip it off permanently. If you flip it off, this is what you get. What we have right now you're happy with that that's fine i'm not trying to make a value equation here i'm not making a zero-sum game nobody's gonna be winners or losers you get a choice turn it on or turn it off do you want to be connected to your true meaning do you want to know what this is all about don't confuse yourself as if you're going to be all-knowing but if you'd like to find a purpose, I think it's there for you. It's very individual, it's very specific, and it's waiting for you. Nobody else. But in order to be guided toward it, in order to find it, you have to turn on the thing that gives you markers that indicates how close you are. And so you're getting warmer, you're getting colder game. In the spiritual sense. You had to play that with yourself for a while. And do anything that that entails or asks of you. A lot of times it's going to ask of you to do things that are very scary, very things that will shake your life up. You could be asked to kind of tear down your entire life. You hear about people doing that, huh? You hear about people all the time starting over, hitting a roadblock and being like, okay, okay. Let's reevaluate. Let's do this a different way. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I don't know if that's actually a quote by Einstein. I think that's been kind of disproven, but I think there's something true in that. Now, 
actually, I'm going to kind of unpack that a little bit. You could also look at that uh, insanity as faith, right? You have to embrace a little bit of insanity to have faith. You got to keep running that car into that wall (laughs) in a way, but you have to make sure that it's the right wall. You know what I mean? That there's actually a door behind it. Or else you just destroy your, your the car and thus your cell, right? So it's like a uh, very tricky game. It's a very hard game we're playing here. The game doesn't do it proper justice. It's much serious, more serious than that. It's also not meant to inspire in you the feeling of serious, though. It's meant to inspire in you the feeling of love, happiness, and joy, and disbelief. That feeling you get where I cannot believe that this is happening, but it's happening. That feeling is real. I know you felt it at some point in your life. That is God, man, working inside of you. I can't believe this is happening, but it's happening. You need to believe in the existence of that. Do you want to call it miracles? You can call it that. Well, you got to believe in the the possibility that something can still surprise you. And something, there's something in store for you that you aren't expecting that is better than you could ever imagine. But in order to allow that to come toward you, to allow that to happen in your life, you have to release control. You can't think that you're your ego. You can't think you're the center of the universe because you aren't. It'll lead you away from these things. It'll entice you further down the path of darkness until you don't see anything else around you. The best position you can place yourself in, I think, is a sacrificial spot, but also in a spot that isn't just waiting for the world to beat you down. It's a spot of watching, knowing what you are and waiting, having patience, instilling all these virtues in yourself and making sure, constantly reorganizing yourself in whatever ways is necessary or calls to you uh, in order to make sure that that these virtues that we've talked about are always there. You're always reinforcing those inside yourself. That is the spiritual work you are being called to do, I feel like. That is this, and if you don't like that way I put it, that is a spiritual work that is necessary for you to lead a good life. If you want to talk about it in more of a, a philosophical way, that is the good life. Your conception of the good life is however you live out those virtues. Do it. Now, let's move on to the virtues since we've kind of already went that way. And for yesterday, I'm going to kind of go uh, and talk a little bit about envy yesterday because I didn't talk about the associative virtue. I did. I did. It was really kind of surprising, actually, because I ended up talking kind of about the, the virtue without realizing it. And then I went back and looked after. I was like, oh, makes sense. There we go. It's been kind of cool. Anyway, uh, so for envy, the associative virtue is actually kindness, which makes sense, right? It's kind of what we talked about at the end of... of uh, yesterday's episode, right? I brought up a really dark subject about all these mass shootings and stuff. And what I tried to do is is, a lot, is get some of you to go along with, uh, with me on the journey or the, 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 the mental exercise of trying to see why people do that. I think that's kindness. I think what you're doing is showing those people kindness through trying to understand their perspective, for through not just reacting because of what you've seen them do, but believing that there's some... some um, that regardless, and I don't mean to sound cold in this, of what's happened in the world and what suffering you see, that you have to be the thing that pulls goodness out of it. And that in order to do that, you have to look at evil. 
You have to look at that thing. And when you do that, you are more powerful than that. Evil can never overcome you when you do that, when you choose to look at it. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that can only have power when you run from it. But when you stop and turn around and look it in the face, it cowers. It's a coward. It's disgraced. It's cast out. It's that identity I told you that thought it was better than everything else and it's been trying to prove it for all of time period. Like always fails over and over and over again. It continually fails because what we see is life and love continually to exist, continuing to exist in the world, regardless of how much suffering there is. That will always exist. It's one of the beautiful ideas that you see inside of like uh, Star Wars, right? Uh, is is, is the, the force itself is, is, is this encapsulated. I think there's really meaning, and this is gonna sound super kooky, right? But a lot of the science fiction that we watch and we are compelled to watch or we feel connected to, I think there's a reason for that. I think it's calling in, it's, it's, it's calling out something deeper in the human being. I think what the force is, is kind of a artistic rendering of this, of what I'm talking about of your ability to lead a virtuous life. How do you become a Jedi? Embody these things. No joke, right? And what are you doing? You're a, you are associated with the light. You are a warrior of the light. What is the dark side? It's the opposite. It's allowing all of these things to just take control and to act in whatever way you deem fit, to view yourself as the center of the universe and to devolve into something that's evil. You see in all of the characters in Star Wars, all of the evil characters, this devolving as well. Let's take uh, everybody's favorite evil character, right? Darth Vader. Well, you see this in the episode one, two, and three, right? The creation of Darth Vader. That's what that story is about. Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. There is belief in that he, no child is born evil. Go find me a baby that's just been born and look at it and say, oh yeah, that guy's going to do horrible shit. No, you don't know that. There's always been this like, this, uh, this mental, uh, kind of, uh, game that we play with ourselves to see if like, you know, it's not a game, but it's like the mental thought experiment where if, if you were to time travel and come in contact with, with Hitler as a baby, would you kill him? You know what I mean? And it's like, because the idea is that you save so many lives, right? Well, also Look at a baby and tell me that you have any knowledge or ability to predetermine that that thing is going to be evil. The reason you don't do that is because it doesn't exist. It's not possible. Things aren't inherently evil. They get corrupted is what happens. You're born this. It's just that you're a thing with purpose. That's what you are. But you, that thing can be corrupted and, and torn down into something that we call evil. And you can devolve. That's what happens to Darth Vader. That's what happens to Anakin. He slowly but surely gets pulled to the dark side, right? And before you know it, he becomes the ultimate evil. He becomes the thing that corrupts, right? He embraces that and becomes a thing. And once you do that, once you you allow this kind of evil to really take hold, you become an arm of it. You become it. You can see it in people's eyes, on their face, right? That's also dangerous because you're not that important. You don't have an ability to glean more information than other people, right? But I think this is something everybody can see. I'm not saying I can just see this. I'm saying everybody can see this if you look. 
use the force. <laughs> right? I know it sounds corny, but I'm trying to use metaphors here to, to explain to you what reality is, I think. You also see in Luke um, this quality of not being, of being changed, that you don't come close to evil or realize your shadow side without being changed forever by it. Like you see in, I can't, I think it's the Empire Strikes Back where you have the, Luke, I am your father, I think, you know, where Darth Vader tells Luke that he is his father. That's so deep and symbolic. Why was that such a surprise? It wasn't just, it wasn't just because you're learning that he's related biologically. No. Why you are so shocked by that the first time you watched that movie, why you're so rocked by it, is you see that the hero can come from the villain and vice versa. That the villain is the hero and the hero is the villain. Different stages in time. Different choices. That's the control you have. If you have any control, you're choosing one side or the other. That's what you get to control. What do you choose? Choose the light side or the dark side? Do you choose to bet against the universe and try to devolve it? Do you choose to be an arm of entropy? Or do you choose to be an arm of light? An order bringer? Something that maintains the balance? Something that pushes for the good even in the face of evil? something virtue about, virtuous about that. There's something honorable about that idea. There's something that makes you attracted to that idea. I would argue more so than the evil side, if you're honest with yourself, if you try to do this kind of work. Now, if you're not doing this kind of work, the easier path is the path you're going to choose, and I guarantee you the easier path is to let yourself devolve. And you can do that. And you can choose that. But I promise you, you don't want to. Nobody wants to choose that path. Why am I saying that? Because I, I started to choose that path. I started down that path. And I saw all of these things happening inside of me. I watched it grow. So much so that I felt as if the idea of ultimate evil at one point was trying to take over me, was trying to possess me or succeeded where I could feel that darkness inside of me. I could see the smile. I could hear I got you in my head. I could feel the despair. I could feel the anger, resentment, lust, greed, envy, wrath. I could feel these things building in me and they felt good but I knew they weren't. And it led me to a moment where I cursed and screamed and spit on the name of God. Literally screaming at him, blaming him for everything in my life and everything that had happened. Asking him, imploring him to explain to me why the world was such a horrible place and why you'd created such a human, horrible, flawed thing. You know what happened when I did that? That's when I saw that smile. 
I'm not lying to you. I'm not making this up. This is exactly what happened with me. I saw this smile in my mind's eye. I heard I got you. And I immediately had the worst sinking feeling I've ever felt in my life. And I knew that what I had done there was like the gravest sin against life itself. I had become prideful. I confused myself with God. I had thought I was, I was so audacious. I asked him to tell me why he created this thing. I'd asked him to turn it and destroy it completely. Now, that's a, so dark, right? But like I said, you know what happened? As soon as I did that, I got that feeling. I knew how wrong that, <laughs> as weird as it sounds, my radio switched on literally at that moment and I saw a light I knew that wasn't me I knew that wasn't me and I immediately wanted to take back every single thing I had said everything I had asked and I wanted to I wanted to make it right and so it gave me energy to go down this path <clears throat> excuse me it makes me emotional that's why I'm doing this because it's the hardest shit you'll do but you need to do it. I implore you if you're listening to this. Live your best life, okay? I mean that. Whew, that got heavy. <laughs> Sorry if uh, that got heavy for you guys too. That's not what I mean. This is a culmination of something, right? We just finished the seven deadly sins. They're obviously very important. This has been kind of cathartic for me. This is like a summary for me of this journey that I've been going through. And I hope, I know that many of you are probably in the middle of it. And I feel for you and I pray for you because I know how hard it is. But also know I believe in you. And with that, guys, I'm going to leave it there. That's the Unbounded Podcast. Live your best life, all right?